excited. Me too, man. Me too. Always am. We have uh, have done twelve episodes. Well, this will be our twelfth episode. Really? Yeah. For season one, and uh, when we first started this, my whole plan was just to get some local icons around, talk to them, and basically, you know, shoot the breeze for a little bit. But then, yeah. what, what we're really doing yeah. is just hanging out with our buddies, and right. that's been a great excuse cool. to hang well, but you don't um, get any more local or iconic than what we got <laughs> exactly because what i wanted to bring up is all the episodes we've done so far somebody has brought up exile yeah somewhere in there exile has come up as inspiration we grew up watching these guys we learned from these guys and uh why not close the season out with a member of exile so there we go jp welcome to weekend all Super right, Shows. Good to see you, man. You thank too. you for having George. You all right, man? Man, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure. Now, your journey is well documented already. A long, strange trip. I'm going to try my best as a, a journalist, in quotes, you know, <laughs> to ask you some different stuff if I can. Sure. But, uh, I already know kind of how you started because, I mean, your mom played. I know was a big inspiration to you at an mm-hmm. early age. But one of the things I want to talk about is I know we're both huge Beatles fans. Yes, we are. We had Bob on the show, and we were talking about the whole Ed Sullivan inspiration <clears throat> for that generation of people and the musicians and the big boom. But next year, Exile is going to be celebrating their 60th anniversary as a band which means you all were together before that ed sullivan show took place correct we were we were so Um, what took uh, you into the rock direction because you were already doing it well we i don't know we 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 there were there were a couple of radio stations that we could listen to and this was all in and around richmond kentucky Mm mm-hmm and there were only like two stations that we could even get on our car. Yeah. You know, and the songs that we were playing just resonated with us and, and we'd, we'd hear these songs. Yeah, well, let's, you know, let's, let's go work that one up. Right. You know? Yeah. And, what uh, are you about, 13? I was 14 when the band started. Yeah. I was 14. Yeah. For the, for one of the first gigs we ever played, <clears throat> I, um, it was in a bar. Um, it's called Specs Restaurant. Then uh, ended up, I think, before it closed down, being the Family Dog. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a college bar. And I was still fourteen, or maybe had just turned fifteen when we got an offer to play there. Yeah. Well, they, the guys that owned the place, got wind of how young I was, <laughs> and because uh, the rest of the guys were like three to four years older right. you know, at the time. I mean, and, and, and at that age, that's, that's a big, that's a big span. Sure. You know, but they said, well, he's not supposed to be in here, but we will let him play if he will, if, if, if one of his parents will bring him. Nice. You know? So, so I, I, Scared to death, I brought it up to my dad, <laughs> and he he grumbled and grumbled. And he finally agreed to it, and, and uh, we went. He grumbled all the way over there. We lived in Berea at the time, and uh, 
He had the time of his life. <laughs> he had the best time of any. Got a couple of beers in him, you know, and he was looking at all the little college girls and stuff. And, and, uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I, I'll never forget it. He, uh, he asked me on the way home, he said, well, when y'all gonna play there again? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I was, uh, I was I was thrown into the fire, you know, at the really kind of really insane. really young. I remember some of my first gigs. I was not allowed to leave the stage during breaks yeah, because sounds, I was underage. I would have to stay right. on the carpet that the drums yeah. were on. I may I may not have been either. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's crazy how that stuff works out. I mean, because I was, I think first time I played was the Plaza, and I was the Plaza then. I was I was only about fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. But back then, what was weird is. Nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever yeah. mentioned it. They didn't buy us coming in with the band. Nobody said anything, and which may have been the worst thing that could have happened to me because yeah. uh, you know I could go up and get beer or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, uh, at, at one point, I was partners with the people there, and was was half the owners in it. And uh, one of the guys that still hung around there, he was the, like the head bouncer back in the days. And I got tickled him. He was telling me a story one night about, you know, how no, there was never any underage kids could get in there while he was working the door. And I was like, I was like dude, I was playing here when I was 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I may have got off your question there. I can't, I can't even remember what it was. I was just curious. I can't even remember where I parked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what did, since you were already playing, what did the Beatles, the Ed Sullivan thing, how did that impact you since you were already kind of doing it? Well, the 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 one thing that really impacted me was was you know I I, I started reading because I was so interested in him. I started reading everything I could about him. Right which at the time was wasn't much, but but I, I read I read an article about how they wrote their songs mm-hmm. and how lucrative it could be. Yeah, and it that that really got me interested in writing. Cool, you know, and I. Yeah. I, I tried to write a little bit, you know, over the next couple of three years, and you've done all right at it. Well, I <laughs> I, I, I think I know more now than I did then, but uh, you know, it it uh, I, I thought that was impressive because I'd never really given songwriting any any thought at all. Right. You know, most people wasn't, didn't. No, yeah. it was wasn't in my DNA. Right. You know? And well, uh, as hey, as a songwriter, so everybody's got a different prescription or a different way mm-hmm. that they go about what what's your formula is there any certain way or just whatever if if i had one it would be that i write usually write from a, a title yeah uh if 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 i can think of a title or if i'm writing with someone that and we have a title we both like it it if it's good enough it can kind of help to Right the song right yeah. itself, you know, and it's usually as as writer as writers, you all know that the title's usually encompassed in the chorus of mm-hmm. the song, and mm-hmm. and and it's usually chorus first, you know. With me, I got to tell you a real quick story. I, I, you know it, but I don't know if you know this or not. Last time I saw you, we were playing golf, and uh, it was oh, during, that's right. It was during uh, when COVID was still mm-hmm. hot and heavy, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was trying to impress JP myself because I was having a nice little songwriting streak of my right, own. Right, right. I had about two weeks there where I was like really on a on a roll. You know, mm-hmm. I was like I was like wrote about twelve, fourteen songs, <laughs> and hey, I got an album. So 
I tell this, and I said, what have you been up to? He's like, well, I wrote 50 last week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was in a week. But uh, during COVID, during COVID uh, was, was the most active as a songwriter that, personally for me, that I had been in years and years. Right, yeah. We uh, decided we were going to do a Christmas album if we ever came out of the virus, you know. Mm -hmm. So we wrote a whole Christmas album on Zoom, wrote it on Zoom. And uh, uh, we've got an album coming out next year uh, that we're working on right now that uh, I think we're going to do a total of 18 songs on it. We wrote all of it on Zoom, too, so I don't even have to go anywhere. Right, yeah. The only thing about Zoom that I, I don't care for is that it has a latency to it. You know, somebody will, will, will sing something and you hear it a fraction of a second late. Right. Yeah. So you can't you can't really play along with each other. Right. You know, you, you, it, it, it just has to be one person mm-hmm. at a time. But Your idea <laughs> than my idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or you can't, you can't really try to find any harmony parts sure. with anybody or yeah. play any kind of solo lines yeah. you know, over the over the top of what somebody else is playing right. Yeah, they're hearing it late and you're hearing it early and you <laughs> and it's it's just it's strange but it but it worked. Mhm. I want to go back real quick to your <coughs> early days. Um wasn't long before you all were on the Caravan of Stars tour, right? Mhm. And uh when you got that opportunity were you already did you already have a big following or was that just a chance meeting with the i know that girl that came to give you the yeah we we had we had i would call a what what i'd call a regional following yeah uh but but i mean it wasn't it wasn't huge i mean we we would play most of the towns around central kentucky Mm -hmm. you know over you know maybe 50 mile radius of richmond or lexington right Sometimes we'd go up to Eastern Kentucky, and every now and then, if we got lucky, we'd, we'd get to go to another state, you know. Right. But, um, no, we um, we were playing one night at that place, that same place, mm-hmm. Specs, that I was telling you about. And this lady, her name was Peggy Rogers. She was, uh, she was an employee of Dick Clark's in L.A., and she was from Cynthiana. Yeah. She was home on Christmas vacation, and she ended up being there. Uh, she claimed she didn't come to see us. You know, she just went out yeah. for a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, and she 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 liked us. Yeah, and uh, she uh, got contact information from somebody, and uh, a week or two later, she called and. She said, I told Dick about you all, and uh, they're looking for bands to open the Caravan of Stars shows and to do 10 to 15 minutes of, you know, themselves. Mm-hmm. And then... Not much time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like four or five songs. Yeah. You know? And then... Um, be the backing band for the single right, artists yeah. that were on the show. And would you all be interested? Hell yeah, we'd be right. interested. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So we got the gig. Uh, we got the gig, and, and 
we showed up. Uh, I think our first show might have been in somewhere like Waterloo, Iowa, or somewhere like mm-hmm. that. We we packed inside our little Corvair van and drove there, you know, with right. all our gear. And but um, we got there, and they had a general meeting of all the artists and all the employees and stuff, you know, in a room. Mm-hmm. To kind of, it was like a production meeting to go over the nuts and bolts of how everything happened. Yeah. And, uh, and one of our guys said, well, we're, we're to back B.J. Thomas, right? So B.J., he was on the show. Brian Hyland was on the show. Who uh, His biggest hit was uh, Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot oh, Bikini, yeah, right? Yeah. So he was on there, and there was one other guy, I can't, I can't think of who, who it was on that first tour. But one of our guys stood up and said, well, when do, when do we get to rehearse? <laughs> <laughs> and the show was like that night, you know. <laughs> and they said, well, you guys could just, you know, you just just get with BJ and Go in here to the shower. It sounds good in there, you know. We were in a locker room. Just talk it over. And, and we just we just talked through the chord changes. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know any better to make any charts. Sure. You know. And luckily, <clears throat> BJ was was so popular that we'd heard his songs. Right. You know, so we just went in there with him and and with Brian and, you know, just went through the whole routine and and we're thrown to the wolves that night. Yeah. We did good. That's awesome. We did good. Yeah. After you started doing that for a while, uh, I'm sure word got around here. What was it like when you came home? What were your shows? Did, was there an improvement in mm, fan I don't base remember. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, the places, uh, the place we played the most was there. Again, yeah. At Specs. Mm-hmm. And it was always packed anyway. Right. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if we had anything to do with that. It was the, it was the, the females and the beer. Yeah. You know, that that's that's that'll draw a crowd anywhere, right. you know. That's why we play anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh but uh, no, I don't I don't uh, I don't, I didn't perceive anything. Yeah. You know, we we it's not like people were asking us for our autograph or wanting to take pictures, you know. Or right. Anything. I, I don't know if we could have handled that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what what amazes me about you guys is Almost every musician I know, especially from that generation, but even up to my age, you've been an influence in some way. And most of the people from your generation kind of took exile as this is the playbook. It wasn't necessarily copying you, but it was like, that's how you do it. And we're going to follow that direction. And most people would like, even me today, when I, I've seen you all how many times, Every time I see you, I take away something. There's some little nugget that I'm like, I'm taking note of that, you know. Mm -hmm. Were you aware back, I know you aren't now, but were you aware back then that you were having an effect on your local musicians, Mm -hmm. even before you made it? No, I never thought about stuff like that. Someone always has, like, I'll tell you a good Ernie story real quick. Good. So Ernie was telling me about uh, opening for you guys before you all had met, I think. And uh, he was still using a pitch pipe tuner. 
and he said that you all were the first time you'd ever seen a tuner, you know, and he's like, oh, my God. You know, like, <laughs> that's what, what, that's, that? that's you know? what I said the first time I saw him, too. You know, I tell people I, I, I can't believe how many years we went without a tuner. Right. And how god awful it must have it must right, have yeah. sounded. And trying know? to tune with that with all the other noise going on. I know, man. Yeah. I know. I'm sure your drummer was hitting something while you were trying to do it. <laughs> all, they, so always they still are. do. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, and then he also told me one about um I don't know if this was the same gig or not. It had to have been the same gig because he didn't know what you looked like. He said, uh, they showed up for the gig and uh you all were on stage and he said, Man, that's that's not what I thought they would look like. And then it turned out that they were your roadies. Oh. <laughs> and, and, he's, and he's like, oh, these guys are the real deal. They got roadies. Yeah. <laughs> because we thought those other guys were the band. When they... <laughs> but just little things like that just seems to be, everyone seemed to pick up on something. And you seem to be always one step ahead well, of we, what to do. Yeah, well, we, we picked it up from somebody before us right you know we we picked up a lot of a lot of stuff like that from those dick clark tours right that's what i figured because that was the the first time that we uh had ever played in in, i mean they were arenas all of them right you know and uh, packed yeah eight ten thousand people every night and we we just learned a lot about how not so much as is how to get up and play on stage, but it's just the little things like you know, like you were talking about, right? The way the way, uh, way stage managers work, that, yeah. the way road managers work, the way. Uh, well, I should back up a little bit on that first day. Dick Clark came. Oh yeah, he always came to the first day of the tour to talk to everybody. Yeah, and uh, he got us off the side and. And he was really, really nice and kind to us, and it was, and, and he could, I know he could see that we were scared out of our sure, wits. Sure, yeah. And uh, he he just really was kind and went out of his way to make us feel comfortable, and and to to feel included, you know. Yeah. He told us that uh, something something that we always remembered. Um. And that, uh, and that we we often still use, you know, when when we, especially when we're talking maybe younger artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, "Never forget your audience." Right. So that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. He said, "Never, never forget them. Give them what they're here for." Yeah. You know, and we've we just took it to heart. We, we you, st- you definitely still do. I mean, yeah. uh, we try to. We really try to. It's not, you know, it's it's the three of us. It's it's. It's really, when it comes down to it, it's really not about us. Right. It's about those people we're playing to. Yeah. Do we need to make <clears throat> them happy? Mm-hmm. We need to give them a reason to come back. Sure. You know? Yeah. And that's that's the whole essence of being an entertainer, I think. Mm-hmm. You know. When uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to to kiss you all over. Since. Basically, been around for what fifteen years before that happened. We were a fifteen-year overnight success. <laughs> so, being a fifteen-year band and having a little bit of experience under your belt, were you ready for that success, or did it still hit you off guard? I think it hit us off guard somewhat. Yeah, because we were 
you know, we, we went from uh, playing, in a, playing in a bar to being put on a bus. Right. And thrown on stage with Aerosmith. Right. You know, in a, in a matter of about two weeks. It was that fast? Yeah, wow. it was that fast. They, were, they just happened to be looking for a, an opening act. Yeah. And uh, the guy who was managing us made it, made it happen. So uh, we we did we did have the the uh, experience of playing in those Dick Clark shows, the big shows. Mm-hmm. So you know it wasn't like we were totally unprepared. But, but the attention was. A but little still, the the Aerosmith crowd was <laughs> a lot a different, different than the Dick Clark, <laughs> yeah. Clark crowd. A whole lot different. <laughs> but they, you know they were they were they were good guys, especially Stephen. Yeah. Uh, he went out of his way to mm-hmm. come to come in our dressing room and say hi, yeah. and to welcome us. And I mean, just like Dick Clark, he looked at us and held it. well, they're scared to death, right? You know, got a, got time for a quick Stephen story? I, I know where you're going, but I want you to tell it because I've got some questions. <laughs> okay. Well, he we we had done a few shows with him, and uh, and. Uh, he came in one night. We were getting ready to go on. He came in our dressing room and said, you guys from Kentucky, right? Yeah, yeah. So do you all know anything about Moonshine? Just a story here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you all know anything about Moonshine? We said, well, a little bit. We have drank quite a bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, he said, well, can you get us some? And we said, yeah, we can get you some. So we played that show that night. And uh, I think that was the last show of the weekend. And we had, it was a couple of weeks interim before we went back to join him for another set of shows. Right. So when we came back, we had three gallon jars of, of uh, moonshine. It had peaches floating in them. Right, just, just clear, clear moonshine. Gave it to him. And uh, he, um, I think we only did one show. We did one show with him on that run. Mm-hmm. Gave him the moonshine, we did our show, parted ways, and met up again about a week later. And he, he came in the dressing room. He goes, what was in that shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, we said, well, you know, it was, it was uh, just basically just pure grain alcohol, right. you know? Yeah. And uh, he said... Uh, Boy, it's strong, man. He said, it about killed us. I said, well, how much did you drink? He said, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, you know, we, we were envisioning the headline that said, Kentucky Band Kills Aerosmith. Aerosmith. <laughs> Alcohol poisoning. So you all didn't partake with them? <laughs> uh, we, you know, we may have. We may have. I can't remember. I can't remember. But not to any degree because we knew better. That kind of reminds me of your my Merle, Haggard, Merle story. Haggard story thinking you all killed Merle. Well, it wasn't me. It been my keyboard player killed him. We, uh, what was that one? Well, have you told it before on this? Not on here, I haven't. Uh, well, let's hear it. So... I don't know what it's maybe 96, something like that. There was a club opened up in Huntington called the Wild Dog Saloon. It held, I don't know, maybe 2,500 altogether or something mm-hmm. like that. Big club. And uh, we'd done some stuff there with them before, and I'd always told the guys, look, you know, don't leave me out. You have, you know, I named Haggard and whoever. Mm-hmm. Then I come to find out they had Haggard book, and nobody called me to, to do it. 
Mm-hmm. So I called the guy up, you know, he's like, well, he said, you know, this other band, they won't do it so bad, they, they did it cheap. I said, well, I'll do it cheaper than they would. He said, ain't no way. I said, I'll do it for nothing, <laughs> you know. So they, they booted the other band, the first band, and I got to go on right for Haggard. So we're out in the alley, and the bus is parked there. I'm a keyboard player. He said, man, let's go up and meet Merle. I said, dude, ain't, you know, I'm a kid, 22, 23. I said, they ain't going to let us up there on his bus. But I followed him over and, you know, opened the door up. Yeah, guys, come on in. So straight back wow. to the bus we went. Well, my keyboard player, uh, he smoked quite a bit back then. Couldn't find out Merle did too. And uh, so we, we smoked quite a bit with Merle. He was 45 minutes late coming on stage. I was home the next day and come on the news that Merle suffered a massive heart attack somewhere around Georgia. I mean, I picked up, I said, man, you killed Merle yeah. Wow. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, he survived it, thank God. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of another story, too. When uh first time I met you was uh, Brooksville at the Foots Club. I don't know if you remember that or not. It was a place um, that was down over the hill where it yeah, rained so bad. Yeah, it poured rain that yeah. night. Um, Mom and Dad took me to see Exile for the first time. And yeah. uh, I forget who the opening act was, but we were to stand out, and Dad said, let's go, let's, go, let's go meet JP. I'm like, man, they're not going to let us just walk back there. I was, I was thinking the same thing. Right. You well, I knew like, your dad, but I didn't know. I mean, yeah. I knew you did, but I yeah. never believed yeah. at the time. It was least <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, let's just go back here and knock on the bus. I was like, it don't work that way, you know. Now, were uh, you then? Uh, I was eighth grade, maybe, maybe okay. a freshman, about twelve, I was young, maybe four, yeah. thirteen, fourteen. And uh, we walked back there, and I'm nervous as can be, and Dad just knocks on the bus, and here comes JP, and. They say hi, and I'm going, well, that was easy. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. But that was the first time I met you. But, yeah, it was the same thing. It's like, you can't just go knock on anybody's bus. You know? Well, see, yeah, it's crazy because your mom and dad is, is, took me to my first exile concert. Yeah. And, and really? I got, yeah, and I got to tell you, you're indirectly responsible for every bit of a way I've seen today. Not necessarily wow. because of you guys, but because of who was <laughs> on the show. Who was it? Was, it? Uh, it was the Judds. You guys and Conway. And huh. I, it was in Maysville. I was going to say Maysville. Expo Fair or something like that. The tobacco Festival yeah. or something, yeah. And I had, I had never seen Conway. I mean, I was a Conway fan, but not like I ended up being after that mm-hmm. night. I just, when I saw him and, and saw the way the people reacted to him, especially yeah. the women, and, and he didn't do anything. I mean, his, the show was just, he came up. And the only thing he never, said never was, talk. No, hello, darling. That's the only words he said. <laughs> That's right. He spoke. The rest of it was just songs. But I was probably, probably about the same age, 14, 15, mm-hmm. somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and of course, I, I, I don't know how many times I saw him after that. And, but one of the coolest shows I ever got to do was doing the Christmas thing with you guys at the Mountain Arts Center. Yeah, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, for me I, I, I love I love that venue up there. Mm-hmm. Those those folks are real lucky to have a have a venue like that up there. Yeah. It's, it's really really a cool place. Um, back to uh, back to your journey. So on after the kiss you all over deal, when you all were deciding to do the country deal, you came back to Lexington and kind of. Basically rehearsed, but it was it Breeding's or Rebel Room? It was the Rebel Room over in Southland Bowling Lanes. Yeah. Was that, did you know you were on to something, or was that kind of a feeling of, 
we're back at the at the clubs again feeling it was kind of it was kind of both it was, kind of it scary was, it was a little bit Making the change yeah, yeah after after seeing so much of kind of the big time right know. yeah but we you know we it was a, it was a it was a, a concerted effort on yeah. our part um we felt like we wanted to try the country thing because we had had success as writers right in country music mm-hmm. um on our last couple of pop albums we had two or three songs that were picked up by Alabama they they picked up two <clears throat> of them and and had big big hits with them yeah and our success in pop music wasn't going as well as we would have liked mm-hmm. uh, especially in the United States uh, we were doing pretty well overseas with subsequent hit records but I mean we couldn't just pick up and go there and live there and, and live off the success thousands of miles away. Right. You, know? you did tour over there a bit, though, didn't you? Yeah, we did some. Yeah, we did England, Germany, uh, Holland, uh, South Africa, uh, Japan. Wow. But um, we felt that because of our success as writers... Uh, that we might have a shot to to, to do something as, as a country. So act. did, since you already had the success as a writer, but you were technically doing pop rock, mm-hmm. but you're moving into country, did your mindset change at all when it came to songwriting to get out of the rock mindset, or were you staying in it because the country acts were covering the covering rock, the rock, rock songs? Stuff, yeah. yeah, well, we... Our mindset, as far as, as as the way we wrote songs, didn't really change. Yeah, I, I think probably only a couple of things that we made different. We put an acoustic guitar on everything. Yeah, and we made the songs a little shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, some of our uh, pop songs on some of our albums are six, seven minutes long. You know, yeah. there'd only be I think I think the album with Kiss You All Over on it was uh, only seven songs. Yeah. But it was a full-length album, right? the The original version of "Kiss You All Over" on the the album version is the intro is two minutes, ain't it? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, the song's almost. I listened to it today. Almost, almost six minutes long. Yeah, you know. But we, you know, we we didn't. As far as our sensibilities with 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 writing, you know, we we always wrote about love and women and. I, and, I was gonna bring up my next. You question. know. The, <laughs> Uh, we we always felt like we'd have our best success with songs if we wrote something that women wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah. So because they 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 bought all the records, you know, the the, the demographics on it was amazing. Mm-hmm. How geared toward females that the market was. Right. So you know we we always you know we we never changed that. I, I made a joke with Jesse one time, uh, and in the most respectful way possible because it meant was meant as a compliment but I said Exile has two songs because they you all were never a tear in your beer country band mm-hmm. I think you have I can name maybe two songs that follow in that category mm-hmm. I said they're either ridiculously super duper in love with you 
or I just want to go to bed with you. <laughs> I said, but the cool thing about it is all your songs are so positive. Yeah. And the, just that feel good. And I think as a songwriter, that's the hardest thing to write in my oh, opinion. Yeah. yeah. And you all seem like it comes just, that's, that's your thing, you know? Well, it kind of ended up being our thing. So it was intentional. Uh, yeah, going that yeah, route. Yeah, it was. We, you know, we got, we got uh, critiqued a lot for for that. Mm-hmm. You know, by these so-called people who know about music. You know, yeah. um, that that we were one-dimensional and and, but, you know, we just kind of let it. Like water off it the ducks back, it, it it was working for yeah. us, and, and uh, I mean we wanted to be we wanted to be liked by everybody, you know. But I kind of that's com- not possible. I kind of compared it to the Beatles in the same way that every, especially in the early days, every song was love you us. Mm-hmm. It was so positive uh-huh. and so inclusive to everybody, and I kind of feel the same way with you guys because every song is 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 happy. You know, and I think that is a tremendous yeah. feat to accomplish. Well, I think it's really hard. Yeah, to do. we we just felt like that's that's something that more of a majority of people would want to hear. Right. You know, there are a lot of people that like to hear, um, you know, really eclectic lyrics, and 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 they they want to hear. Uh, Songs about murder, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there, there he is. Right <laughs> but I, I do, I do too. I do too. Right. But, but, and I really do, you know. I, but, but we were, you know, we were just trying to find the best way to make a living. Right. I gotta tell a real quick story. Uh, probably my favorite involving you. I came over to your old house one day for a rehearsal with Jesse, mm-hmm. and you were outside cutting the grass. Do you remember this? I don't know. I pull up and I rolled the window down. I said, "Man, what are you doing?" I said, "Rock stars don't cut their own grass." And JP goes, "But I'm pop country." <laughs> right. I, said, well, I best, forgot about that. Best response you could have given me right there. To, uh, I'm my proud of myself for that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just the whole songwriting thing, man. Just that I'm always envious of anyone who can write just a really good love song because that seems to be it. Take me. Four weeks to write one when I could write a sad one in five minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just yeah. something about we've talked before about you almost have to be in that down and really feeling low kind yeah. of to get anything out. And when you're happy, you're not really that inspired that much. You well, know? you know, I, I, at least I, for us. I, I'm just kind of the opposite. I, I have a hard time writing a sad song. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love sad songs. I mean, and one of my favorite artists who does nothing but sad songs is Dwight Yoakam. Right. Yeah. That's all he does is sad songs. Right. You yeah. know, and he's he's proved you can you can have a wonderful career doing that. You mm-hmm. know? But now um, you've got one song. This is going to go to your your solo album. Mm-hmm. That uh, one of my favorites is "Old Familiar Ring." Oh, thanks. And that kind of falls in that you know category a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. just a it's still a love song though. Mm-hmm. But you have that little bit of you know bit of second guessing yourself yeah. you know into yeah. it, uh, which uh, I don't think you get enough compliments on your solo record. By the way, it's really good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate um, it. It was fun. And another thing that you don't get, uh, you get a lot from 
your peers. But as far as like any time I read Exile Press or whatever, everyone knows about your songwriting and all this. But you're a tremendous guitar player. Yeah, you. and you don't get near enough credit for it, in my opinion. But uh, as a guitar player myself, I'm going to get a little off on the guitar thing real quick, if that's all right. I love talking about guitar. Who are your guitar heroes? Because I don't know if I've ever asked you that before. Boy, you know, I've 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 been asked that a lot. You have a lot of different styles that you incorporate. Yeah, I, there, there were so many great ones that played so differently. Right. Uh, I just liked it all, mm-hmm. and I wanted to learn it all. Yeah. You know, and I I kind of. I guess having all those different influences around me kind of made me play like I play now, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I mean, as far as rock guitarists goes, Jeff Beck's far and above my favorite player. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, Country I players, Reggie Young. You don't hear it a lot, though. I mean, I, I've never well, heard Well, I wouldn't a lot have guessed it from him. I've just never heard a lot of guitars mention him as their one of their favorites. He's, he's so unique. Yeah. In my opinion, I mean, he's, he's he's an acquired taste. Yeah. But for a guitar is. player, he is, you know, bow down kind yeah. of deal. Like, because I don't know how the hell he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He does. He does three things at once. Right. And uh, his ear is yeah, it's, it's impeccable. Mm-hmm. But he uses. He doesn't use a pick. He uses his thumb and fingers. In the whammy bar. He, he keeps the whammy bar between either that, these two fingers or these two fingers at all times. Right. And he keeps his little finger on the volume right. of, yeah. of his Strat. And the secret to a, to the Strat is one of the reasons I always played one, mm-hmm. for the most part, is that the volume knob is so close to the strings and to your hand. Yeah. As opposed to... a like a Les Paul or a Telly where there may be... You got to have a long pinky. Yeah, <laughs> right. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and he he operates all of those three things at once. Yeah. Knows uh, exactly where the sound and yeah. the note hits, no matter where it's bending. Yeah. He knows where that note is. He's, he's an incredible player. Uh, as far as country players, I mean, I, I grew up being a Chad Atkins and, and Merle Haggard. A Merle Travis, yeah, fan always uh, the the thumb picking always intrigued me, and I and I learned how to do that not really really well, but I you know I could play mm-hmm. I could pick out a Chet Atkins song where you know where you have to play the bass line with your thumb and the you know the melody line with your fingers simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Was, I spent a lot of nights you know, learning how to do that. You have a very signature, I call it the, the JP groove. <laughs> and I've used it many times, especially in the studio. I'm like, this song needs the JP groove. And uh, <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, but you've got this one little, it's not a repetitive thing. It's just a style that you have that you throw in and immediately has your signature written all over it. But like one example, um, she's a miracle. Mm-hmm. pretty straightforward tune until there's that little breakdown and there's this real funky guitar in the background just for it's so cool <laughs> and so different and from the rest of the song I mean it's the vibes there mm-hmm. but it's like it only shows up there and yeah. you're going like 
that's funky, you know, <laughs> and uh, you always seem to have this one like lick you can do if you wanted to do it, say throughout the entire song, regardless of where the arrangement goes, it'll mm-hmm. work. It's kind of like buried there, and it's just this rhythm punch, you know, just a thing. And uh, I don't, I've known so many guitar players that are like, that's the JP groove, or let's this needs it, <laughs> that JP groove right there. Um, and, a lot, a lot of I play a lot of uh, rhythms uh, on just with just one note, and and, and that's, the note the note fits that same note fits the the whole arrangement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Try to, and uh, that's a really cool thing. To I learned that add. from uh, another guitar player that I really liked, and I can't even think of his name. But I went to see Earth, Wind, and Fire one night, mm-hmm. and uh, they they were, gosh, they were so good. And their guitar, their electric guitar player, he did that a lot. And for some reason, that night I could hear it a lot better than I could pick it out. On the records, I never really noticed it that much. Before. Right. Yeah. But he did. He did that, and it was just like this little common thread. Exactly. Through yeah. through most of the arrangement of the songs, and it was so effective. I mean, even on it was like time. a, it was more like a percussion right. part than it was a guitar right. part. You know. And then, if you're listening to a recording, it's almost buried but subliminal. Yeah, you, it, it's one of those parts where. You would only miss it when it's gone. If it were gone, yeah. exactly. You know, and then yeah. you would really miss it. You know, and then like I've noticed too, where <coughs> there'll be times I'll I'll be humming that part more than I will the melody <laughs> of the song. That's the part that I'll remember, or I'll go back and try to figure out. You know, yeah. And uh, it's just a really cool thing. You saw Hendrix, didn't you? Didn't you see Hendrix? Mm-mm. I thought you did. I thought I read that somewhere. No, I never saw. It. Well. We we did see him, but we saw him uh, before he was Jimi Hendrix. Right. Saw him a little club in New York yeah. City. And didn't think a whole lot about it. I just I just knew that he was different and he was good. Right. But I didn't recognize any of the songs he was playing or anything like yeah. that. And then a year later, I mean, Purple Haze just exploded. You know, <laughs> I was like the biggest Jimi Jimmy Hendrix fan on the planet. You know, <laughs> we went and saw a show. Uh, this place was called the Scene West. It was a it was a really popular club in the city there, and uh, it was it was him and uh, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. He opened for Tiny Tim. Wow. Tiptoe through the tulips. Right, yeah. yeah that was that was a hit mm-hmm. at the time, you know. Seems like an odd pair. <laughs> it was really <laughs> it was really strange. He uh they introduced I'll call him Tiny, I guess. <laughs> but uh, they introduced him and he came walking up to he, he was sitting at a table with all the people, you know, and they yeah. They they introduced him and he got up from his table and he had his uke with him, his ukulele with him and, and he, he, he walked up to the stage and the stage was about that high and there was no no step or anything like to for him to get up on, you know. He didn't think to go around to the side where the steps were, but he he like hiked his leg up on the stage and kind of rolled up <laughs> rolled up onto the to the stage i never seen it was the most bizarre thing i've ever seen in my life so that was that was our introduction tiny to tiny tim mom sings that all the time 
What what an odd character, man. Uh, You're talking about the Jeff Beck thing and the Strat, uh, and that you always play Strat mostly. You always play the same Strat. At least now you've got your gold one, but for the longest time, I've got yet another. You've played the same guitar. Mm -hmm. You're not one of those that changes after every song. Say some other. No, I don't. I don't change any. I I never believed in that. I've always had a thing for guitar players that do that and I've been one one me financially I can't get another one but usually those guys that stick with that one and just make it work and that's theirs like you yeah. know when they come out like Clapton Blackie or whatever you know Willie yeah. Willie <clears throat> Ruby Cannon's got Nancy mm-hmm. and all that yeah. stuff like those one guitar guys always did something for me and I'm the same way I didn't know if there was a reason behind it or if you just fell in love with that one guitar I, I th- no I don't think there's any you know, cool or interesting reason other than just convenience. Convenience, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I never, I never used a, a, a capo very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never used any alternate tunings or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think a, I think some guys uh, they do it just because they can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I for probably, the for the looks and the. Uh, yeah. I would. I wouldn't. You know, and plus, a lot of them are uh, they they endorse these companies. Sure, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they they have they have agreements. Well, if if we're if we're going to give you all the free guitars you want, one of them's got to show up somewhere, right? Where you are, yeah. You know where you're playing. Uh-huh. So that's part of the thing too. You know, went and saw uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and they swap out every song mm-hmm. and they've admitted it's because we can't because we can. why not <laughs> <laughs> well you know you, you know it's it's one thing to have all the guitars but you got you know you got to have a guitar tech to you know to, yeah. to help you through a show yeah and if and if you've got three or four guys on stage doing the same thing every song you got to have three or four guitar yeah. techs right you know? yeah absolutely yeah um so I wanted to ask you this, um, back to your songwriting, what kind of re- response did you have when you found out your song was being used in a Tupac song? <laughs> you know, did, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about it. Uh, until, it was a surprise, right? Like they don't well, it, 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 it was, right? it was a big surprise because I didn't know about it until I got a, a special one time check for it i didn't even know it had been cut you know and i got i got this very sizable check in the mail from bmi Mm -hmm. and uh and i was looking at the statement and it said uh because i hadn't heard the song right i didn't i didn't know anything about it And, and i was looking at the statement and it said uh it said four names as writers. Three or four, I think it was four. Uh, Jackson, something, something, and Pennington. I thought, well, what are they, what are they, have they, have they uh, sampled it? And that's what they had done. Right, yeah. But I don't know how they found the song that it came from or anything like that. Yeah. You know, and, and this was, this was after he had been murdered. Oh, it was after. It was yeah. after. Yeah, that, that's when that's when that big album exploded. Right, yeah. when he you know got killed in 
wherever it was, Las Vegas or, but I thought to myself, well, if I'd have known about this, I'd have sent some flowers. <laughs> I mean, that's awful, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they they sampled. We had a song on the on the, uh, the mixed emotions album, which yeah. was the album that had Kiss You All Over on it. A song that I wrote called "Never Gonna Stop," and it started with four bars of just drums and bass. Mm-hmm. This groove, right. And I didn't even know that that's the song they sampled until I went and found his record. Yeah. And I and I you know I I, I found it and I put it on and I said, well, yeah, it's never going to stop. Yeah. Hmm. And they took that and looped it, you know, a bunch of times and and made this dirty sounding song <laughs> called. And you can imagine, right? You know, called "All Eyes on Me." Yeah. That's 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 been my biggest earning song. Yeah, that may be why they didn't tell you before they did it. That way, you know. I I guess they, <laughs> the, I, you know, I, I think the way the law is set up, I don't think they have to. Yeah. Once a song's been published, you yeah, know, it's uh, get the rights and then. Yeah. Well, yeah. I still that's don't it. know how they found the record or yeah. what drew them to it, you know, but but I'm. I'm awfully glad they did. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Tupac. Yeah. yeah, yeah, buddy. Uh, back to the the rock days. Um, now, currently, I mean, you all have so many hits, and you were talking about pleasing your audience and giving them what they want. You know, so I know you probably won't do this, but if you were to pull a song from the pre-country days, besides "Kiss You All Over," mm-hmm. into the set today, just because you really mm-hmm. liked that song, what would it be? It, might be, never, it might be never going to stop. Yeah, that song was always fun to play. I, f- I figured it. It had a really good thrill. Me was really yeah. big. You know, you thrill me. Good tunes. Uh, <clears throat> I love you, thrill me, but somebody else would have to sing it. <laughs> that that was about half an octave ago for me. Right. Yeah, but uh, I always loved that song too. We had another song called "Stay with Me" that had a little bit of country. Mm-hmm. Sort of a country yeah. feel to it that was on that record that was always fun to play. I got that one cut uh, a few times too. Yeah, uh, a group called David Sugar had a top five country, mm. and Bill Anderson cut it. Yeah, Bill Anderson had a version of. Bill Anderson also has a version of "Kiss You All Over." Bill Anderson. He sure does. Wow. I would have to. I've got to hear that now. He did a disco record, a country disco record. Back in the early eighties, surprised me. Yeah, that's uh, now. How does whispering Bill Anderson? I don't know, man. I you know I I love Bill so much, and I think he's a genius. But you just got to laugh when you hear that. Yeah, right, you know? yeah, yeah. We did uh, we we did the uh, uh, we did the Opry one night, and uh, Bill was on there, and we were talking about that record, and uh, and somebody said, well. Next time we do the opera together, you ought to do it with us. And, you know, it's just just sort of as a, I don't know, just a, we just brought it up. Right, you know, yeah. He said, well, I'd love to, <laughs> you know. And about a couple of months later, we found out he was going to, you know, that we were going to do the opera together. Yeah. And I called him. I got his number from uh, our publicist, but I called him and, and uh, I said, well, Bill, let's do it. We talked about it. He said, let's do. 
That's awesome. And we, we rehearsed. We got there about an hour early and got in one of the dressing rooms and got out an acoustic guitar and rehearsed it. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill did, uh, you know, the opening the opening uh, lines of the song are the, uh, the really low baritone, when I get home, babe. Right. Well, Bill was like, when I get home, babe, I'm going to light your fire. <laughs> All day I've been thinking about you. <laughs> and the crowd just went ape. I mean, they went crazy. And then, and then, and then it came to the bridge, and he did. He 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 recited the bridge. Stay with me, lay with me, holding me, loving me, baby. And they went crazy again. Oh. I'll never forget it. Vince Gill was on the show that night, and he was sitting in one of the pews off the side of the stage, and I looked over at him, and he was going. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had the fist in the air, man. <laughs> oh, I, got, I got a funny uh, Opry story. Uh, I got to be at the Opry on, I think it was my 31st birthday, when you guys were playing. And uh, mm-hmm. Steve Warner was there. Yeah. And so I remember... I came back and say hi to you guys, and you mm-hmm. were excited because Steve was gonna pick one with you. Yeah, he asked me to play a song with. And him. then I met Steve a few minutes later, and his first time meeting Steve, well, only time meeting him, and uh, he was excited. I get to play with JP. Oh yeah. Oh. And I was sitting there going, "Now this is cool," because yeah. both of you had the same respect and the same excitement to do that. If I knew half as much about a guitar as he did, I would be very happy. But it was just, it was a moment to witness and it was really cool seeing, because at that time, most of the times I've seen you have been locally. Mm-hmm. I've never seen you really outside of Kentucky anywhere. Mm-hmm. And most the crowd knows you <laughs> here, you know? Mm-hmm. So we went to a place like the Opry where yeah. it was a completely different feeling for me to see them mm-hmm. being, you know, taken that way. And then yeah. when I see somebody like Steve Warner getting that excited to play with JP and I was like, absolutely, that's, that's, that's awesome. Right. You Bless know, his heart, man. It makes me feel so good. And I got to, to hear meet that. Whisper and Bill that night too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. Is that okay. cool with you guys? Yeah, and we'll come cool. back and we'll talk about what you're doing with Exile coming up. Is that Let's cool? Let's do it. All right, Absolutely. Guys, hang on tight. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. We're at intermission, but I just want to take a moment since the holidays are just around the corner. I want to let you know that I have a brand new single out. It is called Christmas When I Was Five. It's available now on all streaming platforms. And our guest tonight, J.P. Pennington and his band Exile, have a brand new Christmas song as well called Loving Little Christmas Night. So make sure and check those out. And now back to the podcast. All right, welcome back to Weekend Superstars with George Moulton and John McHugh. And we're here with J.P. Pennington of Exile. J.P., give us a little insight on what the band's up to now. Well, we're working on an album, and we've been working on it for close to a, a year. Um, it's, it's it's our 60th anniversary mm-hmm. album. Uh, and we plan to have a release on it, hopefully March 23. Cool. So we've been, we've been working on that. We, we do things a little differently the way we record now. Yeah. Um, and I, I think probably we're not the only ones that do it this way, but when we start a song, 
uh, I go into a little Pro Tool studio place uh, out in uh, Bourbon County and do all the guitar tracks to the song, to a click track, mm -hmm. acoustic and electric. And then whatever lead vocals, like say for instance, we usually do three, three at a time, right? So we do all the guitar tracks, all the percussion tracks, and then Sonny and Les come in and sing their lead vocals. It's at the same place. Yeah. I'll sing my lead vocal, and then we'll do all the background vocals. And we'll send all those files to a studio in the Nashville area. Yeah. Then we'll go in and uh, track drums on one day to to the files that you know that I've done and we've done. You're doing the Jeff Lynn approach. Yeah, yeah, it's basically it. Yeah, and then the next day we'll do the keyboards, and then we, they, they, the the guy there will send those files to another guy for mixing. And that's mm -hmm. how we that's how we make our albums. Now. We're never never in the all same room. in the, all in the same room. Yeah, you, know. you miss doing the live stuff. Yeah, I kind of do, but I I don't miss having to play a whole song all in one fell swoop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Com I mean, comp a track. Here yeah, right? you know, you can do you, you can do. The way we do it, I mean, you could, I mean, heck, you could just work on the intro. Right, yeah. Get the intro like you want it, punch in, work on the first verse, get it like you want it, you know, and you know, it's not like you count the thing off and you have to play the whole thing. Right. But it works, you know, it, it I think it has a, a continuity that sounds like a band all playing together. One, one of the know. biggest mistakes I made when I first started doing recordings myself and got to the lead guitar parts and I was like well I'm just going to take these three takes and I'm going to comp it here mm -hmm. and I was like sounds really good but then when I went to relearn how to play what I just comped <laughs> I realized it didn't flow I do that I, that happens too I like, oh yeah. it doesn't flow I, I don't know if it's not going to work so I yeah. still try to do them in one take if I can but then I'll just comp here and there but that was my big mistake yeah we, I have to you know because it's go up I mean, here and then down yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all on me to set a template right. you know, for what's going to happen mm -hmm. four or five steps in the future. Right. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the way I have And to leave think. the holes and figure yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And try, and try to think about, well, what's, what's the baseline? What, 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 what is, right. you yeah. know, what's kind of going to be the baseline and, and I need to leave something here for, keys you know mm -hmm. keyboards and it's it's just it's it's just a whole different mindset but it's been it's been a lot of work but it's been it's been a lot of fun right yeah from the time that you guys started recording until now i mean the, the amount of technology and how much it's changed is incredible crazy yeah it, it it is it is really crazy i mean we we cut our first little record in a garage over on liberty road you know, and we, I just had one microphone in the room, yeah. you know, and that was for vocals and mm -hmm. guitars and drums and everything. Right, yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all individually mic'd or anything like that. Right, and, yeah. And, and, and what was recorded was the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was, it was what ended up, you know, being on their, their little, little record, you know. Yeah, it's. But now, I mean, it's 
It's, uh, I, I think the people who are the most successful at, you know, the new way of doing things are, are people who still have a sensibility about the way records used Word to sound. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you, if you rely on technology to do everything for you, it's going to yeah. sound like technology. It is. Well, that, that's the advantage of someone who has seen all the steps. You've got the experience knowing how to do it, but now you've got the tools to do it easier. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. a big right. difference. It is. It is a lot easier, and you can be a lot more accurate. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, instead of just guessing what, with all this technology, yeah. you know what it what was. What it was made for, and what what is. I think the the technology was made for was to make you know people that could do it any way they wanted to mm-hmm. just to make it more less time consuming more easier to, I to think get so. by I but think then it's, big... it's they've taken mm-hmm. it and used it for you know it's like the uh, the the some uh, the invention somebody using and somebody turns it into a, a weapon you know mm-hmm. they've kind of made it something a, it like wasn't meant, yeah, yeah it wasn't meant to be that but now that's what it is right yeah mm-hmm. now uh this friday you're at renfro right that's uh, right. That is this Friday. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if you, I don't know if you want to go ahead and plug the show or anything, but I know it's a, it's a Christmas tour. It's the beginning of the Christmas tour. Yeah, it's our first Christmas show. We're going to do, I think, five or six in December. And uh, the Renfro kicks it off. Um, it's not a full Christmas show per se. Yeah. I mean, we start out and we do about 45 minutes of our hits. Mm-hmm. And then we do about eight or ten Christmas songs from yeah. uh, the, the two Christmas albums that we've had out, you know, over the last few years. And and uh, and then at the uh, at the end of the Christmas set, we do one more song, "Kiss You All Over." Yeah, and then an, an encore, you know, if they if they want one, so. I mean, there's there's no like fake falling snow or there's no there's no, there's no Santa Claus flying across the rafters in a in a sleigh and reindeer. You know, it's it's not a big Christmas. Production. Just some festive blazers. <laughs> we we uh, you won't catch me wearing that tacky stuff. Man. <laughs> oh, I just uh, you just I, stick with the candy cane in the hat, right? I do that. Sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as I'll go. Yeah. Uh, what about your new song you just put out? You got a new Christmas single, right? Yeah, it's called "Loving Little Christmas Night." It's uh, great last, song, by the way. Thank you. Yep. Uh, last sings it, sings the pants off of it too, man. He, uh, he got some soul, don't he? He does. You know, his <laughs> voice is is held up over the unbelievable, years. Yeah. like like his, yeah, like yeah. his. You know, but he, I mean, he can still go, man. Yeah. I mean, he can get up there and strong. You know, and he's, he'd be 74 years old before too long. You know, in another month. Man, everybody in the band is sharp. Uh, last time I saw you was at BBH. Over in Richmond? Yeah. yeah. And uh, just never fails. I mean, like, uh, it just seems like it just doesn't go away. Like, it, it's constant. Hey, when you and got it, you got it, and they got it. The man, harmonies just... are as good, if not better, than I've ever heard them. Every time I see you. Well, you know, it's still, and I, I feel real fortunate that all five <clears throat> of us still feel this way, and that is that 
we still love it. Right. Yeah. We, that, that's really the bottom line. And we still care about how our audience feels about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and we feel like we can, there's always something that we can learn or do better. Right. You know, we, we, we never stop thinking that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we all know, uh, talented people, you know, who get to a certain point and they feel like they've learned everything there is to know about their estimate or their voice or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, they peak and it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's downhill. I think that's there. a big key of it is just being willing to grow. You know, I mean, there's, there's certain things, there's probably certain things now, you know, as far mm-hmm. as my, where I can go that I might not be able to, that I used to mm-hmm. go, but I think I, over years, you learn more control over, especially your voice, you learn the mm-hmm. things you can do. And, and, but it's, you know, a lot of it's by experimenting and too, and you know, you it get is. some clunkers every now and then cause you, I'm going to try this. Well, I think you just, you know, whether you're a singer or a guitar player or drummer or whatever, uh, I just think you you just continue to learn. Yeah, you never stop. You know, sometimes it's uh, it's learning little things, just little subtle things that that or as, can as, mean. As a guitar player told me one time, sometimes it's learning what not to do. What not to do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're um, playing. We're not to play. The holes are beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. <clears throat> uh, speaking of your Christmas show at Renfro and your history with Renfro. Mm-hmm. What's it feel like play there every time? I mean, knowing, you know, with your mom and mm-hmm. growing up there, it's got to have a special feeling. Well, there's, there's a, there's a <clears throat> certain emotion. Yeah. When I drive onto that property down there. Right. You know, it just takes me back to so far that it's even before I could remember. Mm-hmm. But the, my earliest memories, are, of course, are, are being there and, Probably not much out of diapers. Right, you know? yeah. Seeing my parents play on stage and seeing all the other acts that were around there, and I, I just worshipped them, you know. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was like, like they were all my heroes, you uh-huh. know. And, uh, and I just, I, I think about it the whole, the, the whole time I'm there. It means a lot to me. It really does. My mom uh, told me I used to, to sleep in my... Uh, in, in, in her banjo case while they were out on stage. So you were little. And I, was, <laughs> I was in diapers then. And of course, I, I, just, I don't remember it, but she said, yeah. She said, you, you, you like that, uh, you like that plush right. case yeah. lining, you know, you get in there and, and get in the shape of a pretzel, you know, and go to sleep. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, not just Renfro, but for someone who has literally played everywhere, you got a favorite venue that sticks out in mind over the years or a special one that just well the you know the the the, the big the bigger ones always uh you know you always think about those and what they meant you know like the, we played three farm aids and there were 80 90,000 mm-hmm. people yeah. you know with those those were those were special i mean 
there may have been 150 of them watching us, you know, paying attention to us, but, <laughs> but, uh, because the shows were so big, I mean, you know, Willie Nelson, Neil Young, Don, uh, John Mellencamp, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and us little exile boys, but those, those were pretty special. But I think, I think playing the, the smaller towns, yeah, especially these free, uh, annual town events mm-hmm. you know like the pumpkin festival or right the, yeah there are a lot of food names the pumpkin apple festival fest, banana yeah, yeah. for the apple you know the, uh, the those those still to me uh, just there's just something about them I really like you know yeah and I like to play I like to play in a club every now and then too a smaller club yeah, yeah I love playing over BBH yeah I, I mean that uh, that, that was I, I just really enjoyed that. That was yeah. fun for me because I had not I mean outside of us jamming at CCI or something. Yeah, I had never seen you all in a club setting, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to see, especially yeah. being in a, a Richmond bar. You yeah, know, I was like, this is hometown. I've not experienced this with the band. This is gonna be cool, and that was a blast. You know, and I really liked the fact that a lot of the people sat on the dance floor like it they were going to a drive-in movie yeah. or something and just yeah. taking it in you know? yeah it was, cool. it was just comfortable there was a place called club 68 that we used to play i don't know if y'all mm, heard, heard of it, it yeah. familiar with it but but it was uh that one really sticks in my mind yeah you know, we used to go down there and play maybe once a month and uh it was a it was a it was a cool place uh they they would have we weren't a national act at the time we were just a, you know regional or whatever but uh, they did have national acts in there like you know Mitch Ryder, Ike and Tina Turner, Jerry Lee Lewis and people like that. Mm-hmm. But that was uh, that place was it was it was kind of different. They would uh, Lebanon is uh, Lebanon sits is a, is is a, a wet city that sat in the middle of about six dry counties. So <laughs> that's where everybody that's where went. Was, the kids yeah. went on weekends, <clears throat> yeah. you know. I mean, why wouldn't they, yeah. you know? So it, it was a gold mine for the guy that owned it. Oh, yeah. Know? But, uh, but uh, and for some reason, all the, the various counties wanted to fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was always a... You know, two or three big melees going on. Right, you know? yeah. But uh, it, it was still fun. The, the mayor of Lebanon is uh, is the guy who owned the place. Yeah. He owned that club and he owned the liquor store next door. So he had kind of a monopoly on the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, he had thing. it made, yeah. He would, give us, uh, he would give us a case of beer and a, a, a whole roast chicken just for being there. And it was like, you know, it, it, it was catering for sure. before we knew what catering yeah. was. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so we loved going there, and, we, and he would make announcements on this little cheap little microphone. He'd sit way back up in the front of the place, and we'd be playing a slow song, and here Mayor Mayor George would come on. He go, "There's a '67 Imperial out here that needs to be moved, but we're gonna have to tow it." Coming through these little tinny little speakers while we were trying to play, you know. But he he would wait until we played a a song that was quieter, yeah, you know, so he could be heard. Nice, yeah. that's funny. That was great. What about uh, a bucket list venue that you haven't played? 
Where would one place that you'd love to cross off the list? Oh, I'd like to play Red Rocks. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to play there. I'm surprised you haven't. Yeah. No, we've never, we've never played. That'd there. be a cool place to see you guys too. Yeah, it'd be a great place to play. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends who've played there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to play that one. Yeah, that'd be a good one. That's a lot of people's. The, it yeah. seems to be the the Roman and Red Rocks are a yeah. lot of people's answers. And Carnegie myself, but I'll never make it there. But <laughs> we, we, we we never played Carnegie. We played Radio City Music Hall in a package show with George Jones, but uh, you know we we never played Carnegie. This might be too much information for our audience, but I I went on a tour of Carnegie one time, and I uh, had a little stomach problem right <laughs> in the middle of it, yeah. and I had to sneak out of the line. <clears throat> find a place to go <laughs> and I came out and I was like well at least I played here <laughs> that's, that's, you that's right thing. but you were telling the truth yeah, too. It was. yeah. that's the only yeah. thing I had yeah. to say about it but I said yeah, I made it yeah, I made it. <laughs> that's right that's right man um, man before we let you go uh, I want to thank you for being a friend and uh, an idol you've been wonderful to me and my family and getting to play with Jesse for a few years was uh, one of the highlights of my career. Jesse and adores you. It was, what was really cool about that, here's another funny quick story, is uh, for those who don't know, at the time, Jesse was doing a lot of pop songs, but she would strip them down mm-hmm. into an acoustic form. She would take out all the, the unnecessary production and show you the song. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw the set list she sent me, I was like, yeah, I don't know about this kid. I'm not <laughs> Lady sure about Gaga. this. But then when uh-huh. I realized how she was playing, I was like, this is cool. Yeah. You know? And it was challenging for me to play something totally out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? But I remember we had a rehearsal and you were supposed to play with us on one. And we're sitting around the living room practicing and it's a Britney Spears song. <laughs> and I just had to stop. And I was like, I said, you know, I always wanted to play with you, but I just didn't think it was going to be this. <laughs> was it Hit Me Baby One More Time no, or I one think, of those? I think or? it was uh, Toxic. It was the name Toxic. of it. Toxic, yeah. And, uh, did, did she do it in her Britney voice or did she? It's, I'm sure she did. I don't yeah, know if she did in rehearsal, she, she but she could, did when we did it live. She could mimic Britney Spears like nobody I've ever I, heard. I got to be on one show with you and her and your son at the uh, Winchester. Yeah, Winchester. At the Winchester Opry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how long ago this was. And yeah, it's uh, been quite a while. Uh, I was I was playing a, a club down there and kind of about halfway running it. And the police were in there every night. Just, I mean, mm. they'd run people off. They'd scare them to death. And Frank Kent, he was on the police force then, and he came in one night and asked me about playing that. I mm. said, yeah, I said, Frank, I'd love to do it. I said, keep your guys out of here and keep them from running all my customers off there. <laughs> so that's how I ended up on that show and you guys were playing it that night. It, just, it was I, cool to hear the, the harmonies. And, yeah, we, we had fun doing that. We, we did it for, I guess we probably did a handful of shows for about a, about a year, year or two, I guess. And then uh, they both moved away from home and we had to stop. But I, I really enjoyed singing yeah. it with my kids. Oh, it was great. Oh, yeah. I really did. And both of them following your footsteps, both, you know, tremendous singers. And uh, Jesse's doing great with Brassfield. We hope to have them on the podcast for season two. We're still working on that. but they, oh, they, I could see that happening. They definitely yeah. need to be on here. Um, I've got a few 
fun gig stories to, to tell on Jesse. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely got some good memories. But, yeah, man, like, uh, you know, when we first started hanging out and getting to know each other, a lot of it was local. We were we were jamming with either the Squirrels or <laughs> uh, Roger down at CCI. we get to sit in, and uh, that was just a cool experience for me, especially when there would be people in the crowd who may not have known who you were, and we'd do the reggae kiss you all over. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everyone would go crazy for it, yeah. but I knew a lot of these people had no idea who was who they were seeing actually sing it. Some I, of them, and, did. and most I could have cared less. And, and it was just a cool was, to watch. Where they were you know? seeing him at as well. I just... And I always had like to me, uh, you know, you're one of my idols, <laughs> but we're all we're also friends. I'm glad to call mm-hmm. you a friend. And it, I've always drawn that line of like, you know, I want to ask JP this, but I was like. I'd much rather be his friend, so I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> so I'm going to fan out on fan guy out on you on the podcast. I'm going to get all my questions. <laughs> Good man, I love it. Yeah, um, but man, it was just you know not just an inspiration to me, but all the other local guys. Everyone we've had on the show has brought you up in some form of being an inspiration, yeah. and not just musically, but your character. Is, well, is you know, a real they're, thing that they're I all have, my friends and have been my my friends for the better part of my life. You know, right? Greg and Doug and Jim and and, and everybody that you you've mentioned that's been on here. I mean, I've just you know we we've just been friends for so long, right? And, yeah. and it 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 makes me feel honored to be you know to be part of the same podcast as them yeah and doing doing that and then like uh when the bunch has reunions and you might if you're off you come play Mm -hmm. that too and it's just uh i've seen you in so so many different settings and then there's times where i'm like there's my friend jp then i go to the opry and i'm like wait a minute (laughs) i forget yeah. This guy's got 11 number yeah. one songs. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, sometimes yeah. I cross that line of, oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Nah, nah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just your friend, JP. But, but dude, you were just so yeah. humble. And, that, and what I was going to say is your character is something that I have taken the most inspiration from because you've always been such a gentleman off stage, not to me, but just to all your, fr- your fans that I've seen you interact with, you are uh, a great guy to know. Okay, well, that's just, and that's, that's just, hopefully that's, that's just, the best that's compliment just the I can give you. the honest way I feel about everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, it's, you know, it, it, it's a lot easier, and you all know this, it's, it's a lot easier to be a nice guy than it is to be the opposite. Right. That's hard work. Yeah. I don't know how people it's do It's exhausting, that. yeah. And we all know plenty of them, too, yeah. you know? It is exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, I won't keep you much longer. Um, real quick, let us know where we can find all the information on Exile, like any social media or whatever you got going on. Well, we have, you know, the, the usual stuff. We, uh, we're on Facebook, uh, if I can remember, because I don't, I don't, the last thing I'd look at is something on us on Facebook, you know. <laughs> Exile.biz. <laughs> Exile.biz is our website. I got you covered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Facebook is Exile Band Official or something like that. We have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, and, well, and I just, I guess, just type in Exile. In, in some cases, you may come across a band from 
from Japan. It's also I've, I've, called I've seen that. that. Yeah, they're like a twelve-piece boy band. They've pissed something. me off in my Google search a few times. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But uh, but yeah, we're 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 not we're not hard to find. Um, you know. Well, if uh, this this should air later on tonight, so anyone listening, if you don't already have tickets. Get on and buy tickets to see Exile at Renfro Valley this Friday. Thank you, John. Um, I promise you a good time. It's a wonderful show. Everybody in the band is as sharp as can be, still singing their asses off. And if you don't have tickets, do it. JP, thank you, bud. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been pleasure, a pleasure. Pleasure to be with you, too. Thanks, man. Thank you, bud. Thank you, brother. I thank you, George. Yes, I appreciate sir. you, man. See you guys. Bye. Well, that's it. That concludes season one of Weekend Superstars with George Moulton and John McHugh. I can't thank you guys enough. You've been so cool and been really great and responsive to this podcast. Can't wait to start season two. Not sure when that's going to be just yet, but stay tuned. We've got a whole lot more planned for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, later.